Greetings, fellow travelers, and welcome to The Way of the Showman, where we take a look at the world through the lens of showmanship. I am Captain Frodo, and I will be your gracious host and guide along this way. Now, for those of you who have uh, been along for the ride all the last few episodes, you might remember in episode 37, we I did a sort of crossover episode. We, we had a meet-up uh, online between the uh, gang from Hideaway Circus, Josh and Lindsay, the Hideaway Circus podcast, and we had half of Object Episodes, which is uh, the podcast that uh, Jay does together with Eric Orberg. And um, Jay and uh, myself have created a show over the last, well, it's, it's been, feels like a year and it's about a year and a half, but as a proper specific project, it has just recently sort of ticked over a year. And we'll tell you all about that because today's episode is a conversation between uh, myself and uh, Jay Gilligan, an extraordinary juggler. Uh, and uh, thinker and uh, artist and uh, over this last year we've developed a close and um, very interesting uh, friendship um, that's been one of the great things about the um, pandemic this uh, ongoing process through the dark ages and back into the light and now back into another lockdown with the Omicron either way um from the feedback that I've gotten and the amount of people that have been interested in reaching out and commenting and whatnot, listening to the episode, it's clear that this um, had uh, some interest beyond our normal listenership. So on the, so to speak, one eve of the one year anniversary of us uh, getting cracking on this air show and just a few days away i don't know exactly when this episode will be released but um, it'll be about the, that time on the 28th of january 2022 um reflex will open in brooklyn new york city and uh, yeah still a chance for you guys to go and actually check it out but on the lead up to that uh, jay and i we reflect on uh, the last year and this podcast and myself, perhaps it is because of the time that I am at in my career, I am reflecting a lot about process. How does one create? What is the process? What are the steps? Uh, maybe in early on in my career, I just felt like, oh, I just do this, I'll do that. And when I was doing street shows, I had this happy-go-lucky attitude. You just go, oh, I'm going to try that, and then try it in your show. And if it uh, didn't work, you just sort of skipped it next time or whatever. But now I'm putting a lot more thought and energy into this creative process and I'm creating more and creating more elaborate things the book that I've written the books that I've uh, that I'm working on and whatever it all it's more time consuming the shows that I do are more have more in them than what I had before so with all this uh, trying to boil it down like what are what is this process and of course a big part of this has been that in the Basically, since this podcast uh, began, I have stepped up my interaction and collaborative efforts of creating shows uh, with other people. And uh, that has made me reflect again and again on my process. You meet up with someone, 
now it's online it's not even so you can just chill and hang out in a, in a room together and see where things go but we're showing up online we turn on the <laughs> skype or whatever and now we have to instigate a process we need to know have an idea of where to go so i've been exploring process and no other project has refined and questioned and developed my sense of and understanding of what my process is what process can be so today's episode is uh, quite long so I will, i'll try and keep this uh, more brief but um yeah we'll see how the response goes to to today and then we might have some uh, i've had some other color some other collaborations uh, excellent collaboration on making a family show together with morgan james and very exciting performer in uh, Perth in uh, Western Australia and his show has uh, all already opened uh, in the midst of the Omicron looming or even in uh, Western Australia which has been relatively untouched due to a sort of very strict uh, state border closure thing anyway if this all goes the way it is maybe we'll have a talk with some more of these artists that I've um, talked to and to try to get to the heart of the creative process um, that I am going through. And um, also then we get to hear from other voices on this air podcast. Um, and uh, next episode will also be a little bit uh, special, as that is episode 42. And uh, last season only had 21 episodes. So as we get to 42, I will uh, make a slightly different episode again which will be reminiscent of the captain of the showmanship the where we did a long kind of poetic exploration on the showmanship as the most famous ship of all time and you yourself being the captain of that ship and so um next um, episode will be a poetic exploration again so tune in for that and until then i give you my um, epic conversation delving into all kinds of stuff uh, my conversation with jay gilligan i hope you enjoy it all right are we live yeah i think so mine says it's live it says instant juggler is recording the call no i was i was just quoting uh jim rose are we live I'm alive. <laughs> oh no, that's Penn, that's, that's Penn and Teller on the SNL when they hang upside down. Oh yeah, yeah. Are we live? Yeah. But Jim, Jim Rose. No, it's Penn and Teller. Yeah, when they're hanging upside down because they need to to tell everybody that it is live yeah. so that um, so that the trick actually works. You know, yeah. I mean, we we don't, we don't ever want to tell you don't want to blow that one by saying that they're hanging upside down because that was what was so incredible about it. Yeah, but. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm not going to say which one they were hanging upside down in. So it could be any of them. So I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because they do that incredible um, upside down um, straitjacket escape uh, <laughs> where uh, Penn is reading a poem and Teller is up uh, doing... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The uh, Casey at the Bat. Casey at the Bat. But they wanted to read like the birth of a baby dove in the ghetto and, <laughs> and they weren't allowed to. So they had to do some more entertaining stuff. Yeah. Hugely influential on myself, <clears throat> I must say. Yeah, what a good... Yeah. Hey man, so <laughs> I wanted to talk to you because I realized a couple of days ago that it's been one year since we really actually dived into the, the the depth of the creation of this show we made together, this reflex thing. 
And I mean, we started, what was it? This, the summer of 2020 was like my first phone call to you. And then we did a couple of, I mean, we touched base a few times in the autumn, right? But then right before Christmas, we did a couple of pre-sessions, pre like kind of pre-planning that were kind of more from your direction of like, hey, let's do something like this. And then I remember you reached out to me and you were just like, hey, let's just do every Monday, Friday, jump on Zoom or whatever messenger we use, messenger video, and uh, do some sessions. And then we started January and that was January 2021. And now yeah. we're, no, yeah. And now we're January 2022. Um, and now I'm going to New York in a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. So with a show that exists, that's finished. Yeah, we've, we've created a... a, a um monumental piece of work i would say it was really interesting as well like because when you say it's like oh we'll get together on some mondays and fridays but it wasn't just getting together on some mondays and fridays it's i don't know how many months we did two days a week of yeah. two to three hour sessions so we were sort of working five hours or more a week on this thing and then in between still on messenger firing back first in the beginning it was just sort of text things and then we discovered the one minute uh, recording you can record a voice message yeah. and i don't know how many of those we did then and continue to do where there's literally like 15 or 20 of those one minute uh, bits where you're just like free forming go oh i was just thinking of that section of the show when we're doing this and that. yeah which but I, mean, I, I mean my main i mean i want to ask you a couple of questions about starting a year ago but just to say the main feeling if I, if I put myself one year in the past, my main feeling of that time was being completely lost, but like purposefully lost. Cause I always put that on myself. I'm like, oh, I'm making a new show. So it has to be new and different. And to get a different re result, you have to have a different process. And so then I kind of go, I go to the, I willingly pretend that I'm completely, I don't know how to make a show and what are we doing and what is juggling and what do words even mean? And then, <laughs> but then I remember, we go through those Mondays and Friday sessions and I was pretty lost uh, again, like in an enjoyable way, I guess, but still searching to what was the next step. And I really remember this thing of like, we had this rhythm every Monday and Friday, and that was something to look forward to in terms of a structure of a momentum of the next step of a process. But then we would get to a point where it was like, okay, now Jay, you need to go away and you need to transcribe, you know, this many hours of recordings. So let's skip Monday because you're not going to be caught up yet. And I really remember this feeling of relief. Not that I didn't have to talk or get to talk to you on the Monday or Friday, but more that I had a task in front of me that was known. Like it was a lot of work to just transcribe, you know, 10 hours of voice recordings. I mean, it was insane looking back on it. Yeah. But it was a concrete task that only, re that only uh, took my time and energy. It didn't take my, my fantasy. And there was a real relief in the break of that rhythm. And so it was kind of like we would get to some place where we finally knew what we were going to do. Okay, the next step is, Jay, you need to make these notes and then we need to do X, Y, and Z. And I was like, oh, thank goodness we have something concrete to do. But as soon as that got done, we would dive into the next session when that work was finished. And then you were kind of, I was lost again. And I really remember this rhythm of like completely lost and then you find something and then you're lost again and then you find something. And it was this really roller coaster process for me. And I don't know, how did you, did you feel the same thing? Or? Yeah, I mean, that's right. And I guess maybe in a 
I have some questions for you about that, but it's like part of my process too, is to like you dive into this idea and you go and at, at some point during that session, and sometimes it would be at the end of the session, sometimes it'd be in the middle of it, and you really come to, well, that is the end of that idea. We've gone on an exploration and it goes out, and especially in the beginning, I find there's this sort of like a, an expansion and then a contraction. Eventually it'll be a, a kind of, concretization as you do it again but it's like well, it comes alive again because we first we have an idea and then it just expands out and it's all sorts of possibilities and what does this trigger in your brain what does it trigger in my brain and it's all this sort of and then that happens on the session and it feels really big and you feel like oh man we just nailed that thing that was incredible and then afterwards it goes okay now what did we actually create here what what because one thing is all those ideas and the feelings of awesomeness and how clever we've brought these things together. But the other thing is, light comes on, you're on, on the stage, what is actually happening? And that's what that transcription process um, did. And it has in my process of working like I'm working with you or have been working with you, I now stress that so hard. You have to look through the thing uh, the the session that we've done if you look through that and transcribe out the bits of script that we did and fill in into another document what we said you were going to do and everything that process which feels hard but it is it's hard because it's laborious and when you're an artist you like to just fly around in your dreams and your imagination but to concretize this thing of going all right curtain goes up you're on stage. Now what? You need to continually put that, and that's like a linear process. Because whenever we're talking, it's wide, it's connecting to everything in your mind, and it's a sort of three-dimensional thing, but it becomes two-dimensional when it's on the paper. And that's that's hard. But you doing that, and hats off to you doing it, because we did so many sessions before we really did that, where we were talking about the process and and what does juggling mean, and what uh, is a word in relation to uh, the three ball cascade. <laughs> like there was, it was some crazy in-depth um, epistemological, uh, like like what is meaning, what can we know, what is like we really went really deep for hours first, and you transcribed all and listen through it and solidify it and uh, hats off to you for that. And that's why I think the, the show has grown. Um, and I keep thinking of this word depth. It now has depth and depth comes from it being a context, all the acts, all the different stuff that you we've talked about, all sort of connects up to other things, not just within the show, but sends tendrils out throughout. And it's a rich package we've created. And I think that's from your hard work of that. So now you got to make it come alive again well, in I think, your presentations. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's two things that come to mind immediately that I really appreciated about your working method or about your style or whatever, your habits or something. The first thing was that I realized pretty early on that when we were talking, I think we had, we initially had set like let's talk for an hour, yeah. <laughs> like, like, and then we pretty quickly realized that like three hours was more realistic or whatever. And part of that process I realized was, you especially, you repeat things very many times. <laughs> uh, but no, but like in the best of ways, and that's why I, that's why it first occurred to me to, to transcribe those recordings because 
every time you would repeat the idea, a new, a little new phrase would pop out that was just perfectly formed. And it was like you were in real time working through your thoughts and refining. And Mm. I'd say on average, we would talk about an idea, you know, we would introduce the idea and you would kind of give your, you know, your first initial response. And then I would reflect and then you would come back and kind of reformulate your initial response. And then I would respond to that. And then you would do a third iteration. And I wouldn't say each of those iterations, they didn't get more and more perfect just on their own. But in each of them, there was just a perfect turn of phrase that you would generally get to. And that's why when I was transcribing those interviews, I mean, it was just, it was like magic because I would get to that one phrase that was just like, and I'm I'm sure, I, I know for a fact, some of those phrases are verbatim. They are intact in the script to this very day. Yeah, that's a good point because uh, I do, I, that's why I'm going like, you have to always record the sessions as a, uh, Jack Black goes, it's like, always record. Uh, anyway, that's a, right. a reference. But um, you record the session exactly because of those. The first few times when you're really jamming on an idea, it's so fresh and so naive. And you can often just really nail it down to really simple sentences. And then later on, as you continue to think about it, it expands and becomes sometimes too florid or you lose track of it or whatever. So that's that's a really good point. But I also thought that it's similar. It, it, the similarity of doing what I'm doing with words and in creation, I think it's similar to how you do with your tricks. When you're doing new research to learn a trick, you're just right. freestyling or whatever. I mean, yep. I, I have a very limited, uh, because of COVID, we have spent so little time in the room in the creative <clears throat> process that you did a lot of the physical stuff on completely on your own and then sending me a video and going, I've made this and I'm not comment on that or whatever. So you, but still right. you're experimenting and then you find something and you go through it again and then you go through it again and then you refine it until there is no filler or whatever in between the tricks where you're doing seven or 10 throws to get yourself into position for the next one. So it's almost like maybe it's a similarity in that process. <clears throat> I mean, I be, I mean, I, I came to rely upon this process with you. I mean, we just did it most recently where we wanted to tweak um, a little section of the script, right? Uh, after the, uh, we did six run-throughs in Stockholm in December to, uh, to really workshop before we go to New York City. And after even the sixth run-through, there was still one little thing we wanted to tweak. And in my mind, I was like, I need to do a jam session with Frodo because I could sit down on my own and try to suffer through tweaking this section but i know if i call frodo i mean i don't i didn't tell you this but i you know how it is i, I go i know i know if i call frodo and i record a jam session with him i'm going to get like 50 50 of my text is going to be written for me in those three hours i just have to transcribe <laughs> it and that's what we did and yeah, yeah and it turns out that 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 didn't exactly happen but uh it definitely was the process that cracked that new yeah, yeah. you know what i mean so so I, I came to rely upon kind of your that method that we had worked together on and i know you've been working with other people too on their shows and you said like for example you worked with another performer where you were more just literally writing the words entirely and writing the script you know and that's also from a year ago when i started working with you deeply on the project we had to find out who each other who we were to each other and how we both worked together and i really remember that in january trying to struggle to understand not only what the hell are we supposed to do next but who are you 
and who do you think I am and what value can you give me and what value can I give you? It was a real multi-layered thing. And I think that's why our discussions continued on, I mean, for till today, right? And it's just yeah, so, yeah. Much, so much to work so on. True. I mean, I think all those, when you're doing a creative process with somebody, <clears throat> the first session, you can talk about your ideas or whatever to get an eye, but it, so much of it is also to work out those things. So I ask a bunch of questions now that I didn't do with you because they were so, anyway, like to ask like, who are you? What what do you want to do with this show? And what do you want to be different? And what do you want to say with it? What do you want the audience to feel? What do you want, like before we start even to talk about, just to get some ideas of, of where we where we're going and and also like what kind of input do you want from me there has to be a context because like i'll i'll get i'll get messages you know once a month on on facebook or email and somebody's like hey i just made this video can you give me some comments you know juggling video and i'm always like i've learned over the years because it just happens i mean throughout my life this has happened i mean especially with social media coming into play you know and and uh i've learned over the years to give some sort of response that is maybe useful but for the most part, when people come to me and they show you something with no context, they just go, look at this. What do you think? What do you say? You know, you're, you have no idea what they want to do. What's their intention? What's their goal? What's their parameters? Like you have no idea. And I hate it. So I kind of like generate, like you get a lot of circus school students. They'll come and say, oh, uh, I, I made this thing in school. Like, what do you, like, do you have any suggestions? And I'm just like, no, I have nothing oh, to say to you. Cause what, what are we working on here? And that's what you're talking yeah. about as a context for the for the yeah. process. I mean, it's also like because if you if you're asking for advice, what I see sometimes when people who have um, whatever you want to call it, they've they're working on their piece and they're serially working with lots of different people, pe fellows from their class, uh, yeah. or they're working with other some working with four different directors. Yeah. It is that you get. Well, it's almost like when something is being created by committee. Yeah, yeah. Please all the people all the time and you lose track of what it is that you want because you're getting strong points of view from lots of different people. And you sometimes it's better to just do make 80 percent of it completely sort of on your own or with one person. And then it then you know what this thing is and it is easier to shape it from there. Well, it's that it's it's not even that you're losing sight of what you want. Generally, in that situation, you don't want anything. You're giving up responsibility to this to this other. You're kind of displacing it. So you're, you're I'm not you know, I'm working with four directors. It's not my yeah, not yeah. problem, you know, and and I think there is a real difficulty to kind of, and again, in our relationship a year ago, how <laughs> did we place each other in terms of the relationship of who is taking ownership? of this process, who's taking ownership of the final product. And, and, and it's so funny, um, a little digression here, but like, I remember the producer, you know, Josh and Lindsay uh, from Hideaway Circus and Josh was asking pretty recently the past few months, hey, we need to get our titles together for the program, for the website. And, you know, titles are very important in New York City, uh, you know, show business and, and, and creation and whatever. And so what is, what is Frodo's title, he asked me. And I was just like, I don't know. I've been calling him the director, but like, I don't know what that means, especially in circus, I don't, in juggling. I don't know what that means. And then uh, he was saying, well, did you and Frodo, like, so who made, 
like who made the show? And I was like, well, me and Frodo did. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, made it, we made it together. We made it from these conversations together. And Josh said, how much of the text in the show did Frodo write? And I said, well, I mean, how can I answer that? You wrote everything and I wrote everything. I mean, yeah. there are literal phrases I can point to in the script now and say, Frodo literally said this. But at the same time, it was out of our conversation. Yeah. I don't have responsibility for your words, but it was our meeting that made the show. And so who made what and what was our titles? I have no idea. But I just wanted to, but I just wanted to say really fast, the other quality before I forget, so I, I recognize this idea of you repeating things was very valuable in the process. And the second quality that I have to say surprised me, which I don't think I've ever told you this, was your practicality. Because I think, I mean, you know, we're recording this session right now. I mean, with the spirit that people might watch it and and discuss <laughs> talk. And I think already there, the audience, this audience right now can understand that we talk very conceptually and very broadly and very, you know, it's kind of goes crazy sometimes, like really big. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing that I, I found really surprising from you um, and and very useful was your you were so practical. For example, one thing you love to keep in mind is how long things are. Like you were asking me from the beginning, there was no show. There was, no, there was nothing. And you're just like, but how long is that opening scene? You know, and I'm like, I don't even know what the opening scene is. And you're like, yeah, but how long, like you were really onto the, the length of how long the show should be and the kind of overall rhythm of the length and also how long it takes to say certain amounts of words. Like you always say, you know, it's, oh, it's 400 words. So it's going to take, you know, X amount of minutes to say that. Can you speak a little bit about like, what is your relationship between this completely expansive conceptual process and at the same time being practical i think that's a, a unusual combination i guess well i guess it's because most of the time when i am working or like a big part of my schooling as a director or co-creator or uh, somebody to pick someone's brain or whatever people say about this thing can you be my outside eye <clears throat> whatever yeah. that is was from doing 12 years of Las foray or La Clique. So I worked in that show as a kind of act doctor or or act creator and later on worked as a director on the second project that uh, Brett Haylock uh, made, Club Swizzle, in a much more expansive role. But the practicality also comes from this thing. You can't just sit backstage and talk about ideas. It's because we might, I might have just met this artist, they have an act and Brett uh, needs some changes to happen to it. He assigned it to me to go and talk to them because people had a general, they trust me more than they do with with the producer coming and talking. So there comes a fellow artist and we're talking and that became also a thing within the show. I was someone to talk to and it was a very good atmosphere that some artists that came in that all the other artists in the show would comment about your act and say, maybe you should do this. Some people found that really intimidating and got kind of angry, but that was kind of the vibe. But anyway, hmm. The practicality comes from when he says, can you do something to this act? And he always had very specific things that he wanted, even if he couldn't quite express it. He has a very sort of broad, you know, like that, get it done. Uh, and then I would talk to them and, I, and then the act would have to go on stage in three days or in five days. Right. Always have to make it happen, and this this is also this idea that I get. Sometimes people come. I was doing a collaboration with someone, and they'd they'd written eight pages of 
single spaced uh, a, a document and they're just going like, here, this is my idea. And I'm looking through the whole thing. And I'm going, there's so many ideas and there's so much stuff here. But yeah. then this is, the, I already, already said it several times now, but it's this practicality thing. We're going, okay, curtain goes up, you're doing it. What are you actually doing now? Right. This one. And that can be said the same. It's like, okay, that opening act has happened. Now, what do you actually do? In yours, you open with like just dazzling people with your skills or whatever, get that happening and then go, now what do we do? Yeah. And then I keep also thinking, because knowing the more you can uh, uh, wrestle from uh, of structure, structural things from your act or from, from, your, from the topic at hand, the more... Uh, specific and the less time you waste in creating it. If you know yeah. that this section of the show is going to be, well, it's not going to be 30 minutes. We know that. And it's not going to be two minutes. Right. You're going to talk and you're going to do some actions and you're going to do some juggling. So this bit's going to be seven minutes. There is only a certain amount of material that there's room for in there. It takes a while to explain an idea, as we know. In this yeah. So there can't be too many ideas in there. And this is something that I learned from you, this, or just this language of like, how much novelty, how much newness needs to be put into a, uh, into a piece. I call it new information. How much new, new information? information. Yeah. yeah. I call it novelty. And like how much of that new information needs to come into the act to keep you fully engaged. And that really helps to shape it. And because I work a lot with words in my own acts, um, and I'm also a writer of stories and of essays and stuff, so, and I record my podcast, The Way of the Showman, so I am quite aware of how long it just takes to say certain things. Because sometimes people then come, okay, I have this. It's a one full page with yeah. like a, a single type space, and there's like 600 pages, 600 words or whatever. I'm going, well, that's going to take you at least sort of six minutes to say and uh, with any kind of actions or so and so did you intend on talking for six minutes and just right. simple things like that helps you yeah what is your like very practically what is your metric is it a hundred words a minute or what do you usually think yeah a hundred words a minute when you're reading an audio book you can read more or less but in um in, in a, a performed situation where we are talking you know, and how you're talking, you're not talking sort of directly with the microphone and, and they're not listening like that. They're watching juggling and whatever. You can't speak right. super fast and just tell them all the things are going to go. Usually you can't speed up much more than that. And then things things might go in, and but I use, use that as my normal thing, 100 words a minute. You can't say more than that. And as soon as you start doing actions, then that yeah. goes to the window or whatever. I mean, I mean, I think it's kind of a rare combination of, of – Again, I, I can I I've worked with people and I am working with people who are super conceptual and they're just in outer space all the time. And it's a wonderful, fantastical conversation that blows your mind and you're just transported and your mind is expanded and you're, you know, having fun. But there's just no practical reality in those conversations. And it, it honestly drives me crazy because you can go out to outer space, but for me, especially with juggling, juggling is concrete. You catch the ball or you don't. Yeah. So, so then if, if we go to outer space, but there's no grounding to that conversation, it drives me literally insane. Or then you'll meet other people who are super organized and super practical. And this is how much this is exactly to the second how long this is going to be. But there's no fantasy. There's no expansiveness of the concept. There's no depth to the idea. It's very surface level, one dimensional. 
so that you have this combination between this fantasy, this 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 ability to expand and zoom out to the global mm-hmm. universal perspective, but at the same time keep it rooted in the practical thing of like you say, you're gonna go on stage and do something. What's that gonna be? I think that's a rare combination. And I was talking to Eric yesterday, and I wonder what you say about this, because we were we were I observed one thing in our conversation and I said, well, normally you have people who have a lot of content. Like I think Eric and I, we're the type of people who have a lot of content. We have content in our lives. We have so much techniques and ideas and I'm not saying they're good or bad, you know, but it's a lot. It's just a, a large volume of work. But we're, we're not, but then there's another type of person who's very concerned with the experience of sharing something with an audience. Like that's their main focus. And normally those people in my experience, if I really generalize, they don't have any content because they're so focused on the delivery. They're all, you know, you meet those people where they're like, I'm only here to connect with the audience. I'm only here to serve the audience. That's obviously not me and Eric. That's not our first intention. Our first intention is to create things from ideas. And so I find it very rare to meet a person who has both of those qualities, somebody who's super concerned with delivering to an audience, but who also has something really deep to say. I think you're one of those people like one of the rare people who has, I mean, that's why I pulled you. I mean, the whole conversation was we were talking about this project and I was, I told Eric, that's why I called you to direct the show because I became concerned with how I became concerned about how to present these ideas to an audience. I didn't want to do the same thing I always did. I said, I want to care about this more. And I thought, well, there's only one person I know who I can call. And it, it was you. Do you have any sort of relationship to this idea about have a person who has a lot of content or a person who is concerned with presenting it? And like, do you have a relationship? Well, I, well for one, I, I, it just rings really true. It's so true. I mean, it's it, like if, you, if you're just looking at the caricatures of it, it's the person that goes, well, it doesn't matter if I juggle five or four balls. They don't, they don't know. They don't, right. care. they don't know if I do this trick or that trick. Cause they're just going to eat the apple and then do under the leg. And, and then they go, I'm a, ju- he's a juggler. Uh, <laughs> Because there's like, there are always those two questions of going, what are you going to do? And then how are you going to present that? And those two questions always needs to go hand in hand. Because you can, as in the worst case of the street show where you're just, uh, it's the same show you've seen before and they all build it up. And do you want to see it? And in the end, I'm going to sit on a unicycle and juggle the fire. This is a very, you know, it's like you 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 can sell that same sort of uh, structure and it doesn't have any content uh and it's all about how you sell it because you might still make a completely excellent living from that thing so that's all about the how but you want to do both things at the same time you want to focus on the content and i was thinking about that of making it practical it's because i i am one of the few people and people say this to me too that i'm I read the the books that I read are highly conceptual. It's philosophy yeah. and like I've just sort of the last year stumbled on continental philosophies, so Heidegger and Gadamer and uh, the phenomenologist, and I'm just like eating this up, and I'm going like, oh man, this wasn't really covered when I did a bit of philosophy at university. I the, the history of Western thinking, I didn't go into this modern thinking, and. Now I'm like so excited, but then I find that these ideas that they talk about, 
it's so uninteresting to almost everybody that if I ever am to talk about it at all, then it is through the creative processes like with you. So yeah. my continuing going on about duration and about the the performer or the showman being a curator of time and attention and that this is all also very much inspired by Henri Bergson, the very excellent um, French philosopher. <clears throat> so this gives me these frames to think about it. But the only way, like when I'm when I'm reading a book and I'm going through it, I just wrote a little bit about duration, like I underline and write notes in here and all these things that I'm, when I'm underlining and noting, I am transforming or transcribing these ideas into stuff which is relevant to me and that is showmanship it's performing it's creating acts and stuff so whenever i'm reading whether i'm reading history or i'm reading whatever i always see it d d very deliberately and more so in the in the last five years or so I, I see the world like this and then i go how does this relate to me as an artist in in creating stuff so i take this abstraction process and make it concrete so that I can slip it into a conversation um, uh, because I think about these things and then you're talking to a normal person who don't read these things for fun. If this is going to be interesting at all and it's going to hold the conversation, I, it needs to be somewhat concrete and relate to something. So that's... Um, I mean, uh, one thing again, going back to this conversation about with Eric and, and I should just say it's Eric Oberry who I have my podcast object episodes with in case there's a context here for this <laughs> recording. But um, I think a quality he has is a quality you have. And I, I wonder what you say about this. I remember I asked you one time, I knew I know you were into Rudolf Steiner and I, I don't know much about Steiner. So I thought, oh, I'm going to ask Frodo this one question. I've I've tried to search a little bit. I mean, I don't even know the question really, but it's something about, I heard Rudolf Steiner was into the lost city of Atlantis or some controversy about criticism of Rudolf Steiner, whatever. I don't even care, honestly. But I just thought I would mention to you because I knew you knew so much about Rudolf Steiner. And I thought, oh, maybe Frodo has something interesting to say about Rudolf Steiner and the city of Atlantis or something. And I remember you telling me the answer, your, your answer. And what blew me away was that this idea that you said, yeah, well, there was some text that they wrote this in this year in this place. But at the same time in Italy, this was happening. And in France, this was happening. And you have to understand that in, in Japan, this was happening at the same time. So those words actually meant this. And it's like you were this nexus. You were this, uh, you were connecting. You weren't just reciting the facts of like, well, Rudolf Steiner wrote this in 1917 or whatever year. And you weren't just reciting facts to me. You were assimilating all these ideas in your head and making connections. And I think that's what Eric does with his work. You know, he pulls in all these different places from all over, all over the world. And then he, but then he is, he connects them in his brain. And that's the powerful part because until, you know, your answer to me about Rudolf Steiner, it, I never considered it before. Cause I had just heard the facts. I had just read Wikipedia and there's something that goes on in your brain because you know, all these different connections and then it becomes more relevant. I mean, that's this is why I thought of this right now because you're talking about reading a philosophy book, right? And then it, and then it, you're you're making it relevant to somebody who who's who's not a hardcore philosophy fan, for example. Yeah. So what's what's going on in your brain, making all these connections and understanding the context again of of these facts? I mean, how do you do that? Yeah. One one of the things there is like uh, with with Steiner is that I find him. Uh, have a love-hate relationship with 
Steiner because he's so full of uh, like insane ideas and he brings up things like uh, Atlantis and all these things which was all the rage at the time that he was uh, alive and uh, like whatever the theosophists and all this so um uh, there's so much woo and so much uh, fogginess around what he talks yet he talks with great illumination about all kinds of subjects and there's something about the way that he thinks about subjects which just keeps blowing my mind in small sort of ways where i'm going like ah i never thought of it like this or like Okay, what uh, what is uh, this is the guy that uh, talks about how to keep bees and talks about the uh, importance of the color red in in uh, interior design or like he just talk about you know so much. So that's kind of interesting and I am interested in these kinds of people who can talk about everything like Alan Watts uh, uh, or people who just rant on for long periods of time and is making some sense. Of, of it. That's just interesting. Like, how did it get to be that this person can talk about almost any subject? I'm starting to think it's like it has to do with you have some some firm point of view and a few things that is like, what's your metaphysics of reality? How do, how do you see the world here? And then that's where it comes from. But anyway, uh, so when I'm talking to you, I am battling with the fact that this person who has said so many incredible things about education, why is this guy also going out on about the lost uh, continents of Lemuria and Atlantis? When, like, wh why do you, why does your theory on, on these things pivot on something which I see as pseudoscience? So, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so then when I'm talking to you, I'm like going, I'm, protecting what I feel is interesting about this guy's thinking from all of that ridiculousness that I know is going on. And it's so easy to pick a hole at. But this is also what's so easy to pick a hole about in in Christianity, like in religion, you say, well, it's ridiculous that this story is in the Bible. And then he did this and gone, yeah, but that's because this to me, this is all symbolic. It's all metaphoric. And I don't read Steiner or I don't read uh, religion thinking that this was actually what was happening, uh, you know, this and that, and then he created this and then he, but it's the incredible metaphorical and uh, mythopoetic uh, attempts at explaining something very difficult. So that's well, like, that's one thing, but this thing you say about input going in, that to me is the, is the core of the artistic process. It's like I'm taking in all of ideas, I'm taking in inspirations for tricks, and I'm taking in the, the actions that I do in the space and learning to modify my body by swallowing a sword or do, and then I take that inside myself and now I have to transform that and bring it out either to an audience or to you when you're asking the question and right. make this thing cool, uh, relevant, sexy, exciting, whatever it is that we want to make in this show, like gone. So it's about that transformation. So it's the input that goes in and the transformation that's going on in us and then the art output or whatever. So this validates all my reading, all my practice, all these things that I do. It's the fact that I then can stand up in front of somebody and show it and it feels meaningful to them. 
and that process is what's meaningful to me. So there you go. That's a win-win situation. <clears throat> well, I'm glad I asked you about that little Rudolf Steiner example because you just told me something that I just figured out now from our whole process that I recognized that was happening all the time. Um, I mean, I knew it at the time, each moment it was happening. Uh, but now you just kind of gave it a, I don't know, not a name, but like an, a, 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 you formalized it. It's this idea that whenever I would, whenever we, we would be doing our sessions again from starting last January up until the most recent one, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I, we would, we would be talking about an idea or a concept. I mean, the idea of like, like, you know, uh, how old is juggling or like trying to think of something con like, like concrete here. Like we talked about, you know, like where did the cascade come from or blah, blah, blah. And whenever you would riff on something we were talking about for the show in terms of like what we might say about it with our, with our words on stage, you would, you do pull in as many connections as you can that are, that are just disparate connections, right? Like, we're talking about this and then all of a sudden you'll you'll just pull in like like one of your favorite ones which i which is amazing was the history of tools or what was it uh, stone tools yes well, you know, can you just say that really fast because it's such a good one and we didn't use it in the show but we could do it here what, what, what was the parallel oh it's just that when i listened to the first season of your uh, object episodes in when you talk about the history of juggling in in there, it's like there's this long period kind of of where from the Middle Ages and upwards, where basically, as Karl-Heinz Dieten, the main historian, said, this was mainly what they did. The cascade was the main thing of, of juggling that existed. You might juggle, maybe you juggled fire, maybe you juggled balls, maybe they juggled rocks and they did whatever. But uh, this, this stayed kind of unaltered. And then as we get towards uh, Cinquevelli and we get towards Michael Motion, there's this sort of rapid increase of um, or, or rapid expansion of technique. And, yeah. Yeah. and this is, of course, it's mimicked in music. It's like first we have the uh, Baroque and then we have the Rococo and we have and then it goes into a, like a stylistic pluralism. By 1940, we have everything going on at the same time. And then I saw that in Stone Tools because in Stone Tools with with the. Uh, the early humans had uh, developed a stone tool and then you can go they the rock shaped sort of like a teardrop shaped axe kind of thing once they invented that thing it stayed unaltered for now i can't quite remember but like a million years yeah and then some new change came it's like the what are they called old Vikian new tools and there was some change of it where it's but it's still a small thing. And then that remains for hundreds of thousands of years. It goes from like Homo habilis to Homo erectus. And by the time Homo sapiens comes on the scene, you have this explosion again of, well, we could not just make this one tool. We could make a really skinny one, which would be great for grating off the inside of the hide, whatever that's called in English. And all of those, they start making specialized tools and they'd probably be, oh, we go over to orc over there he's very good at making these kinds of tools and then we go to um zagreb over here who makes these kinds of things or i don't know or the woman yeah. who makes the perfect thing of whatever so uh that was the kind of just this thing of something staying in stasis and that it expanded and i'm going i've seen this i i've i, I have uh, thought about or been perplexed by this structure before so i mean I mean, I love that you tell that story now because it's the same feeling I had when you first told it to me. We're working on a juggling show. We're talking about juggling. 
<laughs> and now you're all of a sudden talking about stone, you know, stone tools. And I really struggled um, for many years. Like I, I just tell a little story. I, I don't think I ever told you this, but it's really connected into this process, which is, you know, I've been teaching, I've been teaching juggling at a cir at circus schools for about 25 years, we can say. And I've been working at the circus school in Stockholm for about 20 years, whatever, um, you know, more intensely or less intensely, but whatever. It's been a long, it's been a couple decades. <laughs> and when I first entered into teaching, I mean, after, after I started getting going, I realized that how to explain this in a good way. So many people with juggling, they want to add other layers to it. They want to juggle and talk or they want to dance or put music on it. They want to validate juggling through something else. Like, you know, if you say, hey, I'm going to go do I'm going to go juggle people. It's at least in culture, in my world, it's not so bad. It's, it's whatever. But if you go, oh, I'm going to juggle and then do ballet dancing. Oh, suddenly that's a thing because ballet, that's like a valid art form. And so I kind of said, look, in my classroom, when I'm teaching juggling, What's wrong with spending an hour a day just juggling, not dancing, not doing music, not doing comedy, not doing clowning, not doing acrobatics? What's wrong with just doing an hour only on juggling? Because juggling is so unexplored. There are so many possibilities, right? And I'm not saying you can't combine juggling and acrobatics, but why not also spend an hour only on juggling and see where that leads you? Because that's been my experience in my life is really dedicating to that practice and i find so much value there obviously i mean it's infinite to me at this point and so over the years of teaching i'm really into this thing where i i've had been really into this thing where it's like yeah but we're not doing clowning we're not doing dancing we're doing juggling let's juggle 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 and it's been so hard for me over the years in that process to express to the students that you can talk about stone tools, but it's still juggling, right? So that's the weird, for me, that's the struggle where it's like, well, what do you mean? But you said we only have to, like, we can only juggle. Like, yeah, but now we're not in the classroom. We're doing a performance on stage. Everything is possible. It's still a juggling show, but we're going to talk about stone tools. How does that work? And then you just show how that works. You're pulling in connections of the material to, to other things in the world. And we're building a story, a narrative, abstract or linear, whatever, we're making connections and we're trying to connect with the audience through this point of view. And so I find it, again, I obviously I'm struggling to articulate this point, but it's really deep. It's very meaningful to me, this idea that the sh it can be a juggling show and in the juggling show, you can eat sushi. Yeah, it's, yeah. Still, it's still a juggling show. The, the main impetus comes from the juggling. There's a connection between, you know, you can draw a line. I mean, it's not random. It's not like we're going on stage and then like, oh, oh, besides juggling, we can just talk about stone tools or, or airplanes, whatever. There's an intention. There's an idea. There's a consciousness. It's it's motivated from the juggling. It's not literally juggling. It's something else, but it's connected. And that's what I find really valuable, uh, you know, not just in the in the making a performance, but specifically in you that you're good at like when we jam on an idea you pull in all these ideas, but you're not just like, oh, Jay said the word cascade. So now I'm just going to free associate any word that pops in my mind. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's not that it's, it's really, it's really directed and pointed. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's, it's like, this is that thing again, it's trying to get my head around this thing of depth. It's like, that's the in drawing connections and placing things in context 
And that's like, that's what depth is, is that when you see the, the show or when you hear the music or when you hear the music with the words, it resonates on all these different levels or whatever. I just watched the Rolling Thunder review, that Martin Scorsese movie about Bob Dylan. And I was, I have, I mean, I respect Bob Dylan and everything, but I'm not like a huge Dylan fan. I've seen them live and and it was amazing. And I'm like standing there watching and going like, oh, this is cool. And some old guy came in and played a harmonica for a while. And I was like, oh, that's, that's weird. And then someone goes, it's like, oh no, that was Van Morrison. He's like a legend on his own. This is a crazy thing. Anyway, I watched him and he was in, Bob Dylan is in this sort of shaman face. And I know from reading this book, The, the Death and Resurrection Show uh, by Rogan Taylor and Taylor Rogan. Anyway, uh, from Shaman to Sh Superstar. And he talks a bit about uh, Bob Dylan and Bob Dylan uses all this language of circus. He's like, I'm like a trapeze artist and I'm all, and this, a lot of that came from that uh that he thinks of himself as the troubadour or so. And then seeing this guy who has these powerful songs and on that tour or whatever, he debuts, whatever, meets uh, Hurricane, what's his name, that boxer that was framed and um, all that, and he sings that song. Anyway, it's like he's just directly relating to what's going on politically. He has decided to do this tour where he wants to play small halls because he wants to connect with the people and not just play the arenas and that. And and of course, it's crazy. He just plays these absolutely tiny towns like he could come to Hogerson and play at that down here. And there's only 600 people. It's like a bingo hall because it's the biggest hall in town. And then he goes and he plays there. And he has this whole sort of outlook of where he talks it's very arty and very crazy and whatever, but it's also he's talking specifically about somebody who's currently in prison who he's visited with and talked to and and he sings songs about that. And he, so this thing of where you feel like the person on stage is genuinely connected to whether it is real life today, what's happening right now, or it is that they're just connected to history, their own, like talk about the history of juggling, or you could talk about stone tools or whatever, and it just becomes a point of view, something to grab onto or, or whatever. And I guess there the idea is not just to go completely off into fantasy nebulous land of just like, oh, just draw in random words and then because I don't like this thing of like brainstorming. It's not I'm not it's not a storm. We're we're focusing on that's true. On something. I don't want to just go like let's just throw random shit at this. It all needs to be connected. And if it's not validly connected, then you go the, the, the way with that not every opinion and every idea is not equally good we have to that's keep funny that you say that i didn't realize that this entire process we've never once done a brainstorm <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think of that like I, like that's kind of a in one way amazing because you would think that all we do is sit around and talk on vi video phone call all day long that we're brainstorming and but it wasn't brainstorming at all, at all. It was very intense. But it needs to be concrete because as the last year uh, has proven with hundreds of hours of talking, when you really just continually try to stay on point and try to work on something. So we've done one year of specific hardcore development and a week together in real life and then you had a little bit more time and then you started to do your sessions with people and we pretty much after each session uh, not all of them but more so we would yeah. talk after the session 
or sometimes we I would look at the video of it and we talk again. Then we end up after the sixth session with a key issue, possibly the pivotal piece yeah. uh, theory wise or idea wise of like this is a complex idea. And it actually pivots around this thing that we talked about, the, the explosion of style that comes in stone tools and comes in music in 40s. And like, how do you convey that to the average person? And this is where I am. That's, I, I, this is, I'm really interested in this. How do you make something entertaining? Like, because we well, are. Well, to be, clear, to be clear, it wasn't just how you convey this to the average person or whatever you want to, how you say that, but to an audience. Um, but it was like, how do you convey it to an audience, again, in a certain time frame in the middle of a whole other show? Because yeah, that yeah. little section could be a show in itself. We discovered. Yeah. It could be an hour-long thing. And that's when you were sort of saying before, you're going, oh, and then you called me, and you're going, oh, we need Frodo to riff on this. And we, uh, it's, it's me riffing, but it is also, I don't can't riff like that when I'm sitting alone. I am riffing like that because of the relationship that we've developed. So I know that I can talk in this kind of way directly or whatever. Yeah. But then when we got to that bit, not only did it need to be entertaining, uh, always being like it's easy to follow and you can pay attention to this if you do not really care who Cinquevelli or Rastelli or anyone is. Yeah. Like you still need to be fun because you're just an average person not an average person. Yeah, I hate that word, but that audience, you're just the audience. You're just part of the general public. It's like yeah. your audience. You've bought a ticket to see a show and you want to have a good time. It could yeah. be intellectually stimulated, but it, they didn't go to see a university lecture. So we need to have that. That's one um, parameter. Then this show has already been made and it turns out that there was both, there was a, and this was complex, and you d discovered this, that there, there's a, the ratio of doing something, presenting new actual physical material, stuff that you would do in the space, not say. There was something off about the balance of that because all of a sudden we have what I then look at, you look at on the page and you go, this, there's too much text here. And you can see that without judging what the words are. You go, there's too many words at this point in the show, not enough action. And so this was another another parameter that it had to fit. And it was also the culmination of what's in, in essence act one. Like if you're thinking act as in, uh, in how it is in a play, that you get to the end of this and everything changes after this. This is yep. like the point of no return and we've been building yep. towards it. So that's also like, it needs to feel like a peak. Other things we say, and it doesn't matter, they can just wash over them. Like they, they remember it, and that was a nice detail, or I felt a good emotion. That was funny when you told me that story, or it was, that's all good. But then we get here, they're going, this is the thing which the show pivots on, and it goes into a whole nother space. So all that was another parameter. It needed to structurally kind of peak, yeah. and it needed to peak in a cerebral way, because yeah. this is an idea in in the show so there were so many parameters uh to just fix. to be just to be clear this idea that there was you know too much too much text just to qualify how that judgment was made is because we had set up a rhythm before that so i think you know we could have had a show where that chunk of text could have been completely appropriate if all the other text before it had been equally chunky in that same way but it was just like before that it was just like 
this much text, this much action, this much text, this much action, suddenly double the text. So you're setting up an expectation or a rhythm that the audience dives into that world with you. And then suddenly you kind of stray away, away from that thing that yeah. you, you've set up. And that's why it became a little bit, um, yeah, clunky or whatever you want to say. And we just streamlined it. And I think the new version, like I wrote you the message the other day when I, when I did the new version on the floor for the first time out loud, I said, it's very aerodynamic. I go, man, this feels so aerodynamic. Like yeah. we're, going, we're going somewhere, there's a momentum. And it, the other text didn't even feel like that internally. And I'm not saying the new text is gonna feel like that with an audience. We have to wait and see, we don't know yet. But just the feeling inside of me is like, oh, now there's a movement in, to that, to that yeah, crescendo. Yeah. Um, but I but I still think it's like going, you're all, of course, you're humble and going, uh, we don't know if it's going to feel like that with an audience. But the we knew, we always knew that that section of the text, which is what we build towards so that when you really go off on the deep end with your um, more experimental stuff, they look at that thing with eyes that they could not have had before. Because you've heard this information now, and you've seen everything that's led up to it, when you then pick up the magnet clubs, which is like the, <laughs> which is still very much juggling, like they go, you are, you really, you understand it. You see, sit there and you go, whoa, this is amazing. I remember listening to some guy, unfortunately, I can't remember who it was, but he's just basically, he's a composer and a, a tea professor of, of modern music, like modern classical music. Right, and he right. just had a, a two-part YouTube, uh, he's got a YouTube channel. It was awesome, yeah. Yeah, and, and he talks about how to listen to modern music. Like you need to listen to it several times and he's got many great points there. And I was that was one of the things that we talked about during this creation of going like, if juggling is similar to music, similar to art, and we are going off on the deep end and making actual arts, like where you go, is this juggling? Like some of the stuff that you do is people, people question going, well, is this juggling? Like, well, when if you don't juggle rings, clubs and and balls, is the juggling then, or like what if you if you roll the flashlights on the floor like you did in the first show that I saw you do live? Going, is this juggling, or like what is this, or whatever? So anyway, can you, say, can you? I know you don't remember the musician's name. Can you? But do you remember the concept a little bit? You just mentioned it very briefly now, but uh, you said like to to listen to music, you you have to hear it many times. And what were you? Can you expand a little bit more? Do you remember or um, no? Yeah, well, it's. Um, just because the music isn't easy because it is new um because so much of what you take with music it's like pop music it's almost no music in the song there's just a little phrase and then that verse is repeated many times and then there's the chorus and it's repeated many times and it's the same you know a rock song where it's like it's more or less just one riff and then it goes off to do a little bit and then there's so there's there's little content in it sometimes in um if there's no melody and no discernible rhythm in it and the instruments are coming at all these, you might take, it takes longer to grasp the structure of it. So that was just one, I can't remember all the other things. I should just go back and start yeah. again. That thing that you, um, there, there might be depth in here, but it, the first time you hear it, it might just feel uh, like you don't know what to grab onto. 
It's because you're in the middle of the experience. And that, to some extent, happens when people watch my act too. Like I do a slapstick act, and the first time they watch it, they go, oh, wow, that was crazy. Like I was there that day when you fell off the stage and you knocked the mic over, and then you see it one more time. And and sometimes audience members feels like I just cheated them. Yeah. Like, oh, it was, it was the same the next day. But other people... And you fell off the stage. Just to yeah. say, you fall off the stage every time. Is the yeah, and the mic stand falls over each time, and all of that. So you've created this experience, and and then the first time when you see the act, you see the art, and then right. the second time when you see the act, you start to see the craft, and the twentieth yeah. time you see it, you see the craft of now, because now you know what's going to happen. So now instead of seeing me fall off the stage, you see what are all the subtle things that I do improvise into, so that this will seem like it was completely off the cuff at that time or whatever I mean, that's maybe you know, with the music i've heard a lot of uh, i've heard a lot of magicians speak about that right so you you see it you see a trick and you're not a magician so you don't know how the effect is accomplished you don't know the method and then you learn the method and it destroys the it destroys your appreciation it destroys your wonder and astonishment because you know how it's done but then because you study magic more and more and more and you learn more and more techniques and you get deeper and deeper into the magic thinking and the methods then it becomes artistic again because you go see a card mechanic or something and you say, well, I know how all those moves are, are done. And my goodness, it was just perfectly, it, what a great innovative, you know, you start to find new qualities and it becomes artistic again or, or astonishing again, right? In a different way. That's that same structure that I talked about in how the show is created in a way. In the beginning, it's just so expansive. Then it's all the technique and getting it down in the line and learning all the things. It's like you might look at the guy on the piano and you go, I know what he's doing. He's pushing sometimes the white keys and sometimes the black keys and he's doing different things with both hands. I know what you're doing. I, I know the trick. <laughs> right, right. The trick. And then afterwards you go and you right. learn all of those things. Right. And then for a while it's just a mechanical kind of reproduction of something. If you And then eventually music will start to come out of it, not just noise and things you do, but the audience will now experience a flowing organic new thing that comes when you can express yourself through the instrument. But you just touched upon one of the kind of main thesis of our show that we've made in a very brief way. I mean, oh, there's, yeah. a, there's a couple of things we've, we've dealt with, but one that we've confronted. But one thing is this idea that you do go see a piano player in a concert hall and you don't say, Oh, I get it. He's just, they're just pushing the, sometimes the white keys and sometimes they're pushing the black keys in different combinations. Oh, I get it. Like, and, but because, because culturally, when you go see a musician in a concert hall, you, we, we, we expect to uh, experience the, the sound, the quality of the sound and not even the quality of the sound, but the emotion of the sound. That is something that that is that's built into us. It's ingrained into us as a culture, as a society. But when you go see a juggler, you're not you're not uh, yeah you're not generally focusing on the emotion of the visuals. Yeah. You you do you do the mechanical analysis. You go see a juggler and you say, oh, they're catching seven balls. That sounds hard. Or oh, they're they're catching three balls and then they dropped one. Well. That's not, you know, that's not a good experience for me because you're focused on the mechanics of it rather than on the emotion of the visuals. So and I, true. And I get it. It's cultural, right? Like in our society, juggling isn't viewed as, an, as a thing to experience emotionally. 
So that is one of a little, like, right? Like that's kind of a thesis of our show is how can we get an audience prepared to perhaps, to perhaps uh, at least question if, could there, could there be an emotional quality to watching those visuals? Because for me as the, I just have to say pers- very, very personally, this is just for me. I find, I don't juggle because of the mechanics of it. I don't juggle. I mean, this is a story we don't tell in the show, but I'll tell it now because yeah, it's not in the show and it's nice to have it recorded. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to juggle, uh, you know, started juggling when I was eight years old and I did, you know, go juggle at grandma's house on Christmas. Oh, it's the local fire station is having a Halloween party. Go juggle at the fire station. And then there were all these Cub Scout blue and gold banquets. And I would go perform there when I was like 12 years old. And I would go do my show for the Cub Scouts. I mean, I'm I'm the same age as the audience or, you know, they're older than, you know what I mean? It's kind of funny. And uh, after the show, I would get adults coming up to me and they would say, oh, wow, it was really great show. Uh, Yeah, it was really cool when you juggled seven balls. That must be so difficult. And I really, really distinctly remember being a teenager. And when they would say to me, seven balls must be difficult, my, my response was literally this. I would go, oh, is it? I guess so. I mean, I guess it's difficult for you because you've never practiced it. And so clearly it's difficult for you. This is like such a stupid statement. Of course it's difficult for you. You don't, <laughs> you don't practice juggling. But I can juggle seven balls and I'm not that special. The, the thing, the thing that is special about me, don't get me wrong. I'm not like suffering some from a lack of self-esteem here, but my point is I worked really hard. So of course, seven balls isn't difficult for me because, uh, I can do it because I slaved for 12 hours a day for, you know, five years. Mm. And so is seven balls difficult? I don't know. It's a relative. My point is it's a relative question depending on what viewpoint you take. But my point, the other point too, is that I didn't do it in the show because it was difficult and I didn't have the language or the words to express why I juggled seven balls or any of my other juggling until I was 18 or 19 years old. But it, but basically I did it because it was an aesthetic experience. I mean, there's so many qualities I can outline about seven balls. It's, it's always, the pattern's always changing. It's a kinetic pattern. So it's almost like an, a mirage or like an optical illusion in one way. Um, it, it's just a shape that I never saw in the world before. Like I, when I walk out in the forest in nature, I don't see a seven ball pattern shape anywhere. So I find it very fascinating. Uh, it, I don't know. There's like all these aesthetic qualities. I find it very, in one way you could say emotional or connecting on a human condition kind of level. It's a very human activity. Nobody does this. Right. And so it becomes a unique human expression. It's and so, so, yeah. And well, so, and so, and so because I've grown up, having that internal feeling towards juggling my entire life. That's what we wanted to try to articulate or share with an audience through this show, right? That was one of the overarching themes of what we were, why we were speaking to the audience and not just showing the seven balls, but because there is that barrier of skill. I mean, it's, it's so hard. You're so confronted with the, the skill. I mean, I know, I know, for example, just to, again, a little digression, but while we're on the subject, Whenever I perform in England, um, it's always been a little bit of a challenge at the start of the show to get the audience on my side, because I found in England there is this really weird, at least to me weird, because I didn't grow up there, but there's this confrontation of like, oh, you're juggling seven balls? You think you're better than me? Oh, you think you're better than me? Because you're doing seven balls? Like, oh, who do you think you are? 
you think you're so special and it's this weird cultural thing where you got to approach it from the uh, you know from the other side of like hey we all going to do this together we're going to share this special moment and it's not a confrontation because that skill normally is a confrontation a lot of times um going back to the cub scout banquet last story and then i'll i'll shut up and let you talk but like it's it's that idea of people come up to you again at the cub scout banquet and they say um wow seven ball juggling <laughs> man i could never do that and that was another comment when i was a teenager on the surface i understand the comment i'm not stupid and i'm i'm not trying to be a smart ass but like this idea that i could never do it i'm just like i never asked you to do it it wasn't a confrontation in my show i didn't go on stage and be like haha i'm juggling seven balls and now you try it and I always thought when I was a teenager, I had this example of like, you know, when I go to the dentist or no, when I talk to someone and like, oh, you're what do you do? I'm a dentist. I'm like, man, I could never do a root canal, <laughs> man. That's like I could never fill a cavity like nobody's asking me to because I'm not a dentist. And it's the same thing as, man, I could never juggle seven balls. It's like, well, you're not a juggler. Um, so I don't know. That's yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's so true. And I guess we're 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 that last story or whatever in the sense we're dealing with that as well in the show in a very different way but that's like found its way into the show like this idea of uh and or, or yeah or this idea of uh or i'm better than you or whatever that's, right, that's yeah. contained within the sh within the show and not not like that but it's it, it exists <clears throat> so true but it's interesting going back to the idea with the similarity it has with music and how you watch music that you don't sit down and you watch uh, uh, Glenn Gould play the piano and he's playing Bach and you go, oh man, he's so good. Look at how, look how effort, look, look how good he was at doing that. That's always difficult when you go F sharp G and then you jump to the C. That's amazing. Like how he does that with the left hand. Amazing. Like, so did you see him do that? It's like when he built towards that in the finale and he, and he did like the C sharp so fast. Like, it's like you're paying attention to the wrong thing at that point. And well, culturally, so, culturally. Yeah. You can't, yeah, but it's that. like, but, but if you, but if you were like, if if you went to, because then, because, because you can go as a musician and you might actually right. also enjoy it. Because the thing about music or the thing about art or the thing about actually being in general, like the universe and everything, is that the universe and every kind of experience is always richer than you could ever fathom or ever talk about. It's always a multitude, and then. When you're re um, when you're um, enjoying the piece of music that he's playing, uh, or you're enjoying the poem, it's the fact that it's hitting all of those things. It is the technical skill too, but the ultimate purpose of the music is for you to connect to it and to move you and to stir the emotions. And I guess right. on a very sort of like hubristic and powerful large scale of it was what we wanted to do with this show to take the audience to a point where they could where the juggler in a sense becomes invisible where i don't see glenn yeah. gould sitting playing the piano on the stage because i am completely listening to the Beethoven's Fifth Sonata. I'm completely listening to a Bach uh, cantata or, or whatever it is. I'm com only listening to the music and we were trying to set them into an emotional space where they were ready to receive this. I mean, and 
that's exactly out. what that's exactly what Michael Motion did in his PBS special. He said, you know, towards the end of the PBS special, Michael Motion in Motion, he does the eight crystal balls wearing nothing but a skin-colored dance belt, like a G-string. And he does it on national public television in America in the early 90s, which is like completely crazy, right? With nudity and like conservative, you know, values, PBS, like public broadcasting system. And he said, you know, I stand behind my work so much. I'm so, I have so much conviction that the crystal balls are the technique, the juggling technique is fascinating on its own that nobody will complain that I'm naked, essentially naked. Yeah. And it's true. He didn't get, they did, PBS got, did not get a single complaint about him being basically naked on TV, which is very, very obviously crazy. I mean, in America, you know, I mean, you would, you yeah. think one person, one person would write in, right? Um, but how cool is that? That he just said, you know, like you were just talking about how the juggler disappearing. And then Michael comes and says, this is, this is what I do. And then he, he stands behind it and he goes on national television basically naked just to prove his point and it works. But, yeah. what, but what you just said was um, that that thing, when you sit down to listen to music, there are, all the, there are these expectations about what's going to happen through experiencing music. And what we're confronting in this show, which we've never said in this way before, is what do people confront when they sit down and watch juggling? Like, what is the thing? And we used to have a line in the show which we cut, which was, um, impress or express, yeah, right? Yeah. And that's that confrontation. But I, I never thought about it in this really uh, articulated way of like, hey, when I go see juggling, what, what the hell am I supposed to think? And I guess most people unconsciously are like, oh, I'm supposed to think that it's a trick that's hard to do, that they learn, you know, you're juggling a knife or something, you might get cut, or there's a risk. It's about skill, difficulty, and risk, which is what we have in the show too. But um, that idea that can you sit down and have that the, the the expectation of that experience to be something other than the skill of it um, that would be a fun which is what Michael's whole point is right like he's naked yeah. so yeah and it and it is I mean it is possible and but it is hard to make that happen and uh, we've done a big stab at it here and we want to to get people into that frame of mind of being able to see it by saying the right things and doing all the right things to the best of our ability. When we then go into the second part of the show, you will look at this, not like, you, it won't be like, oh man, my mind is blown, this is this, but you just place them into a frame of mind so that you can potentially see beyond the technique, see beyond the, the danger or whatever, and just start to see the juggling as its own thing. And then anything that you think while you are watching it, anything that you feel while you're watching it, is of course okay. It's always a multitude of stuff that comes towards you. Sometimes when I'm listening to music and I'm walking, it's because I'm just listening to the music. A lot of the time I might also put it on and then deliberately I'm putting on music um, of a certain nature because I am now thinking. But when music is on, patterns are going and all that and it's like uh, listening to classical music a lot when I'm in this mode and then ideas come or it's easier to think because it puts me in a certain mood. So I'm using it to amplify how I think. And I guess that we're sort of doing that a little bit here, like all of those things of ways you can use it or, or you, the way you take it in, they're all valid. And 
we just want to sort of just step away so that you don't so that you remember that you don't just have to look at how good you are at pushing the keys but or at catching I mean, I mean, I get this idea that we can find beauty anywhere in the world and beauty, again, is a relative term, but just to just to keep the conversation moving here, I'll use that word beauty. And I get it that you can walk in the forest and then you can find the leaves on the trees very beautiful and you can marvel at nature. Right. And you can become overwhelmed by nature. Um, and the thing is, though, I, I, like I don't think I, so, so what I mean is what I mean is without all this talking in our show people could potentially come watch the juggling and just be overwhelmed by the the beauty of humanity and blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, people don't do that. And I mean, I don't like sometimes I walk in nature because it's pleasant or and sometimes I walk in nature and I'm just like, wow, it's so marvelous. It's those leaves are so beautiful, like in the autumn, so beautiful colors. But the thing is, I don't do it much because as an artist, there's something about intent and intentionality where I go, well, those leaves are and this is probably a fault of my own. I'm not saying this is good. But, you know, I walk in the forest and I go, well, those leaves are random. They weren't meant to be, uh, you know, particularly aesthetically pleasing, perhaps. And it, so that's like maybe a bad example. But the one that comes to mind that's more relevant is, you know, there's that video uh, where where the, the violin player is outside in the subway playing, oh, yeah. you know, Bach or whatever. And they had just played, played Carnegie Hall the night before and tickets for $500. And it was sold out and they got a standing ovation. And the next morning they went outside the subway in New York City. And then they're just playing on the street and nobody stops to watch them. And look how messed up we are in the world. And I just hate that video because it's like, of course, nobody should watch him. It's the wrong context. There's no context. They're going to work in the morning. I would also not stop and watch him if I had to go to work in the morning. If I was, you know, I didn't want to be late and fired from my job. So I didn't get money. So I couldn't pay my rent or get food to eat like shut up like it's such a i mean it's obviously a very manipulative like contrived it's contrived video but the, the that larger idea of just like oh my goodness we don't even stop to take time in this world to look at beauty maybe it's true maybe we should all pay a little bit more attention but my point is this if i was walking through a forest and i said to you hey frodo check out these leaves aren't they beautiful you could go like oh yeah they're pretty nice but what if I said this? Hey, Frodo, you know what, dude? Surprise, we're in this forest, and this whole thing was constructed by Eric Oberry. And those leaves, he put one by one to place them. Take a look. Wouldn't you look at it with a – you would look at it with a different sort of attention. Yes, exactly. So it's not random, and that's what I'm talking about with our show. We're trying to put a pointed focus on I crafted this juggling in the show with the idea that it's emotionally and aesthetically – composed and not composed from the standpoint of look how hard this is or look how risky this is right and that's what we're trying to clue the audience in on like hey you could just watch all this stuff and think oh it's beautiful if you were you know so inclined but actually this person meant for it to be beautiful and we're just cluing you into that in case you might want to look the same thing if me and you were walking in a forest made by eric oberry right yeah yeah okay. i mean so much to pick up on in that but just on a very sort of direct thing it's like it, directly as to what is in the show it's like we come to this crux of what the what we've made um the point has been made the first act of the play is done or the show is done and now we're moving into the other one and going from magnet clubs into the sticks you have 
it's not the, the magnet clubs are now all of a sudden very beautiful and that and but a lot of the risk involved in juggling is that you could drop and so there is still some risk in the magnet clubs yeah it's and when but when we go over onto the sticks then which is the next sort of section or whatever after that there's more to it than that but like yeah. Then there's three sticks that are tied together in one thing in an apparatus that, uh, as far as I know, nobody else has ever uh, used. And you juggle it and you can see because of all that comes before it that this is juggling, but you've taken away that last kind of thing. You you could say, oh, well, if you, you're swinging those sticks around and maybe it's swung in a wrong thing, but you can't drop them anymore. So you've even taken that away. And it's like this incredible beauty that comes out of being able to see that then you don't go hang on is this juggling what what does this mean like you kind of like what and you don't ask those questions but you have been led to it to be able to see this one piece which is like which really um pushes pushes the boundaries of what you previously thought was mu uh, juggling like john cage having the silence uh, in 433 433 uh i was uh, uh, yeah that was a 432 that was a different uh, take <laughs> not, version well, wasn't as successful like it was yeah a yeah failed no, draft. I, I, it's an it was an excerpt it was <laughs> excerpt <laughs> from the thing the, the swinging sticks is definitely um a conversation we've had over this whole past year right it was a very symbolic conversation it was like the swinging sticks sticks stood in for that all those qualities you just outlined where it was like okay if I just come out and do a show and I start with swinging these three sticks around, maybe some people are confused. Maybe people, some people go, that's not even juggling or people go, what is he trying to do? Cause I've had that before in my life with the swinging sticks. People go, what are you doing? <laughs> What's it supposed to be? What does it mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and I get it. I, I, again, I'm not stupid. I get what they mean. But on the other hand, I'm just like, does it matter what I'm doing? Like, does it matter what you call it? Like, can you just watch what, I, can you please just watch what I'm doing? And then, Maybe you'll maybe you'll get some value out of that. And that's what we tried to do was like, OK, by the time we get to the swinging sticks, we hope the plan is the audience is ready to see them and they're happy to see them. They don't have to like it, but they're not sitting there confused and distracted because that's for me. The big thing about performing is like, let's say I start swinging the sticks right in whatever context. If you're watching it and your first thought is, what is he doing? That's taking you out of the experience. And that's not part of the experience I'm intending, which means probably while you're thinking, what is he doing? You're missing the first you know, 30 seconds of choreography that I am intentionally designing to show you to build up to whatever in the world I'm trying to do, right? So yeah. the whole, for me, the whole game of performing, one of, the, one of the aspects is, right, you want people to be in, in it with you all the time. You don't want them being taken out by their own thoughts that are distracting. Like they can have their own thoughts, but hopefully they're thoughts that are related to that, that keep, are keeping them in the moment with you together in the same room and not just mentally escaping to some other like unwanted thought, especially an unwanted thought where it's like oh, that light change. Was that intentional? That looked like a mistake. Was that a mistake? Did something break? And then yeah, yeah. You know, this whole conversation is in your mind while whatever is going on stage is like I had a friend who um, he was directing a show and uh the show was supposed to be about something about Las Vegas or whatever. And uh, it was a very straightforward song and dance number with, you know, show 
show performers and whatever with feathers and glitter and sparkles and stuff. And then he thought, oh, it would be so nice that this is so cheesy and so straightforward and it's so cliche. And as in one way, it's so banal, right? It's so boring. It, it, like people aren't even watching this because they just, oh, it's a show about Vegas and there's like a show dance number. You don't even see it, right? So he thought, oh, it would be so great that in the middle of the dance piece, a light falls from the ceiling and smashes on the stage. Like nobody gets hurt, but like that would wake people up. And so they did this show where the light falls. The only problem is, you know, it looked real. So of course the audience was freaking out and they weren't, it didn't really engage them. It just made them just completely distracted for, you know, the first half of the show or whatever. Cause like, oh my God, somebody almost died. And like, it's really traumatic, right? So this idea of like keeping an audience, like cur curator of time and attention is your, your phrase about an audience keeping their attention, but keeping them in the moment. Anyway, that just came out of the, the stick thought. Yeah. yeah, that's true. I mean, it's really interesting that uh, <clears throat> it's you, you got to if you do that, you need to uh, now the whole show has been diverted. Now you need to take on this fact. And if that was the only thing that happened, then it doesn't make any sense. But if things keep falling down and then in the end, they're still out there and everything is broken down and somebody's trying to raise the flag again of uh, Las Vegas right. in the rubble or whatever, then it's like, OK, now that's become the theme of the show. And they realize that as they go along or whatever. Sure, that's, sure. But uh, but if it just happens, then it just pulls you out. You always have to question, like, why are we doing this? It's like you can always just go, on, OK, well, because one way to solve. Uh, the crux that we were working on in our final creative session on the show after the six performances about yeah, this, yeah. you know, well, it's a, it's like difficult to keep people's attention or whatever in a way that was like you going when there was just a small group of people, they were all paying attention because it was so small. But then when you got a bigger one for a, then well, there was, it was or whatever, but that within, um, sorry. No, when it was a small group of people, um, it's harder to hide in a group. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. When it's six people, pretending to pay attention. Yeah, when it's six people, I mean, it's easier. I think it's also human, humanly easier to pay attention for real because you, you're just like, well, we're all in it to the same level, right? Where if it's a group of 20 people, you can have one or two people who kind of hang back. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a social currency to the situation, right, that enables these behaviors, even from inside yourself, truthfully. So, yeah. It, yeah. No, it's a... Um... I dropped a little bit what it was that I was building towards there, but talking about was the attention and and it the reason people were the reason why it was harder to keep the attention at oh, that yeah. the show was just because it was so much information it was hard to understand and it wasn't that people I don't think it was that people were bored I don't think it was that people were uninterested I think it was that that people were just having us they just had to struggle it wasn't effortless and you talk about effortless. Yeah. A all lot. the time, and it's so, and that there's like, and in this case here, the issue was uh, like we we jiggled around on the words, but essentially it's the same words. We jiggled around on a little bit. We found another way to divide them up, but the problem, as I saw it there, was that it was structural. There was something wrong with the structure of the show. We'd set up a flow that was not apparent in here, so okay. people were finding, and it was like there was too much information, too many ideas in too short a time. We couldn't exactly. do it anymore. And we were going all these pet ideas that we can't kill any of our darlings. We have to do it. And then you go, so people are drifting. But what we could, of course, have done to make sure that people were paying attention is that you just go, and that is where Cinquevelli came in. And then you just pop the paper bag, bang. And they all go, whoa. 
And now that's how Michael Motion came in. Now you got their attention, right. but the, their mind is still wandering and they're gone. So you need to draw the attention in the in an appropriate way for the time as well, or like before the time and the content that you're expressing. So it's not just enough to get their attention or to right. just, okay, hey, just lie down on the floor and slam for a little bit. And then everyone goes, what the hell is going on? And then you get up and you go, okay, as I was saying, I'm making a point. So yeah, there's always that balance between is going to, you're going to have their attention, but I, mean, also, I think there is a separation between attention and interest. I think in the beginning you can bang the bag and you can wave the fire like in a street show and you can scream and you put on loud music and then, and then that catches your attention. But if that just continues to happen, like you see in like a child's cartoon or whatever, it's just flashing colors and there's joking. It's, it's just going faster and faster and faster. And there's no time for you to go, oh, maybe I should go and do something else or whatever. It's just yeah. barraging then at some point you're hoping to show that's lasting an hour and a half that the attention morphs into interest in the moment of the, the in the beginning you have all these things that will catch your attention and we we're dealing with that in this show we just fully have found a way to solve and bring you in like that and to make you able to listen to you have make some other ideas uh, uh, to convey some more ideas um but by that point You've dazzled them with your technical skill and you just go, wow, this is juggling is everything I thought juggling would be. Like, now what's this show going to be on for the rest of the show? Yeah, yeah. And in there, you're becoming interested. You throw out already as those people who have seen um, some of the teasers that you've put out where you're driving down through the fire, the valley of fire and all that. And there's there's a theme of space in this show. And we're using it's like literal space travel, like in terms of NASA and and whatever. And there's also then like the juggling in space and whatever. And by the time you are into this first bit, you are now, I hope, and I think that people are now interested. They're not just paying attention to it because you continue to do high, low, fast, slow, which is the juggling axiom of you're, you can, you're pulling them into something which is a larger idea that actually now is going to take 25 minutes before we get to the point of this thing. Along the way, you'll be laughing and you'll go all this stuff. But when we wrap up that bit that we've just described was difficult. Part of the reason why it was difficult is like in a good crime novel, it needs to be, uh, what is it that I say? It needs to be surprising. Uh, it needs to be inevitable, yet surprising. Right. I think it is in this one. No, totally. I mean, magicians talk about that all the time, too. I mean, um, I, I, I never told you this before, I don't think, which is insane. Because um, there has been this this theme of space, space travel, space exploration in the show as kind of a, 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 a B story or like a secondary layer, like a counterpoint almost to the to the other stuff, the juggling. But do you do you know why it's there, Frodo? Is it because... You too are a space explorer. You're exploring space uh, and and objects in space. Is that close. why? Very close. Uh, it's because there's a spectrum of the definition of juggling. And on one end of the spectrum, it's like you say, it's called N, N plus one, uh, which you tell me what N plus one is. You have a better... <laughs> I don't know. It's the hands. It's it's that you to juggle something, you need to have more objects juggle. One ball in the air, one in each hand. One more, more than the, the in hands. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So if you have two, so two, N stands for the number of hands, for example. Yeah. So you see, if you have one hand, 
n mm -hmm. plus one, then it's two balls. Yeah. If you have two hands, it's three balls, et cetera. That's, the, that, that's on one end of the spectrum of juggling, which is very rigid. That's a very rigid, it's a mathematical formula for heaven's sake. Like it's pretty rigid. So it's serious, yeah. Yeah, but on the other end of the spectrum is the sun and the planets and the moon and the earth are juggling themselves in the orbit in space. So it's like going from the most rigid definition of juggling to everything, literally everything in the universe is juggling. Yeah. And that's From the spectrum. molecules to the planets and, and to that, the and galaxies. And, and normally you'll find people on either end of the spectrum. You'll get people who are hardcore. No, but the planets are circling and juggling themselves. Everything is juggling. Like that's one end of the spectrum. Or then they, on the other hand, they're just like, you're using two balls and two hands. That's not juggling. Um, okay. And so everybody knows anyway that the planets aren't juggling themselves. It's God or Jesus that juggles those, I think. Sure. Or anyway, so he's the juggler of those. So it is juggling. No, totally. And so and so in the in the idea we have this. I mean, sorry. In the show, there is this kind of theme of space travel, and the origin of that is is to confront this kind of I think I think this this fantastical spectrum of what is juggling. And now, just to say, just and the reason I thought of that, and I don't know if I ever told you that, which is hilarious, because for me it was just so obvious that I did. It took me a year and a half after we made and. It took us to make the whole show for me to even tell that to you because it was so obvious, Frodo. But like, no, but like, the reason I thought of it now is because that is about the definition of what is juggling, right? It's the spectrum of what could be juggling or be considered juggling, and that is how we fixed the we fixed that little that little part of the of the speech that we've been talking about this whole yeah, recording. We, we fixed the flow, yeah. We fixed the flow and it was through it was through the perspective of the definition of what is juggling. And that just so that just recalled to my mind that this idea of space travel isn't just another fantastical like random arbitrary layer, which I'm I am interested in space travel, but there is a connection there of like juggling too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the so cool. when you ask me to come up with something, I just write down because if you if you look at what juggling is, it is an exploration of space, space through yeah. yourself and through juggling. Like you could also say dance is that. Like you wouldn't say that uh, poetry is a uh, exploration of space. That's maybe more an exploration or an expression of inner space. But that's a different. I don't know. I just like, and I, th I see no, so that. If, if we dial if we dial that spectrum back down a little bit that of the of the planets juggling and the n plus one. There is uh, there is a definition that a lot of jugglers today like to identify with, and I identified with it the first time I heard it. But there's, I'll tell you the problem. But the the, the definition is a little bit like um, juggling is the organization of objects in space and time, and I think there's an intuitive connection there. When the first time you hear that, you go, oh yeah, because it speaks to something that's beyond skill, difficulty, and risk. And we can all pretty much recognize, at least on a small one percent level that there are other qualities in a lot of the new juggling coming out, at least, um, like the swinging sticks. Yeah. Well, they're tied together. It's not going to hit the ground. How can I value this? How can I understand this and watch this thing? And then it's like, oh, it's the it's the organization of objects in space and time. Sounds awesome until you realize every single thing you do is the organization of objects in space and time. Like, yeah, yeah. like, like eating food or tying your shoes or driving a car. It's an yeah, object yeah. in space and time. So it doesn't this, this this also speaks to this thing that I talked about in the beginning of how I take neurology and the making of the Western divided brain and the making of the Western world and how I tie this into what I do. And I I think it comes from like 
just this whole thing of mastery. If you master one subject, one idea, if you get a solid metaphysical point of view, you know how the world works in, or whatever. You have some things that you think is this is the real. Then from there, you can now, in that way that I said that it's input and the transformation. That transformation is when you look at the world in this way, what do you see? The world is infinite in its potential um, interpretations. Mm. Like whenever you try to tie something down, you can always look at it from a multitude of ways. Even when you're just looking at, when you look at your computer screen, there's the back of it that you can't see unless you change your point of view and all that. So if you master one thing, which I call it showmanship because I find I am interested in juggling and I'm interested in sword swallowing and I'm interested in uh, group acrobatics like gravity and other myths are doing. Uh, there's not something that I could ever participate in. I'm not that skilled in those things, but I'm interested in it and all of that's why, why it's sort of a showmanship. But by having this one point, that one lens through which you can then look at the world, you can now talk about many, many different subjects uh, because you have a kind of firm point of view. And as Archimedes says, you give him a firm place to stand and a lever, and then you can pivot and you can literally move the world. So if you just have that, I think that's part of the key. And that's what we're doing in this show as well. Like if everything goes back and going, this definition needs to be open enough so that it's interesting for exploration, but it mustn't be so big that there is no separation now between juggling and something else. Yet on one ontological level, like on what the nature of juggling is, what what is juggling, it is also that. It's that, but that's not quite specific enough. So we almost like juggling is so many things, just like music is so many things. Yeah, it can. Yeah, it can be. And uh, yeah, the possibility of connection and relationship is there. And to kind of point out those relationships, I think, is the the valuable thing. And then let people, you know, uh, connect with those or not. Like just to point out and say this is all happening, and it's a point of view because that's our job as artists. I think is to have a point of view and an opinion, and because I've been juggling for 35 years, to share that 35 years of experience of looking at juggling as a relationship in different ways. Of course, you shouldn't you shouldn't do that. That's my job um, yeah. to share that with you. Well, if I can, if I can, uh, it, maybe we can have an eye towards the end of this conversation. Yeah. Um, I have I have a little place where I'd like to go. And uh, I have two, two kind of two final subjects maybe to talk about for today. Um, one is just this idea, going back to the process. One thing I've realized over this past, well, it's a year and a half, but let's say really year of, of deep and intense work um, with you is, and I've told you this a few times, but don't take this the wrong way. No, but because <laughs> on the surface, it sounds like a backhanded compliment. But like um, one of the best things about have, working on this show with you was just having someone to talk to. <laughs> like, don't. And again, don't get me wrong, because <coughs> not just I get it. I get it. But you're not just I am incomprehensible to most people, I feel like you're not just someone. <laughs> but but to be on this journey together with someone. This deeply has been such a relief. It's been so meaningful. I can hardly even express what it's meant to me. I tried to, I, I wrote you a little email when you were on the boat. I tried to tell you what it meant to me, but like just this idea of like, Hey, there's someone there and I have a thought about the show and I can send you a voice message on, on Facebook and you'll listen to it. 
just even that you listen to it is meaningful in the way that it gets my thought out in a different way. I'm not always in my head. So many times in my work, in my life, you know, I'm just in my head trying to make this stuff happen. And uh, I get as far as I can get, but then the conversation doesn't go any farther because I'm just, I'm the only one in the conversation and all the ideas are there, like they're done, you know? And just to have someone to bounce ideas off of, that's been kind of the most, you know, uh, great, the greatest part of the whole experience was just to have an extra person there. Um, and that it was you was also, of course, incredible. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those like really fundamental things of like my whole life, people were telling me you should get a director and I never found someone I could have that conversation with. Like we can have a conversation clearly, um, one that never ends, but <laughs> it's one of those just very basic principles, like, like very basic things that I never really did. Um, and maybe this, and we could, we could, arc, we could get into the whole like arc of my career. Like, for example, maybe I didn't have a director before cause I wasn't ready for one. And like, we could go into that whole journey, but, it, it, but for me, it feels like very basic, uh, on a very fundamental level. Like why, why did I not do this before? And it's kind of like in the start of the pandemic, I organized my studio and this is so stupid, man. But like one of the first things I did is I took all of my props that were in suitcases, because that's how I stored my stuff, was just in big suitcases piled up in my studio. And I got clear plastic boxes. And I put all the stuff in boxes and I separated them out and I put them on a shelf. And it like revolutionized, like it's so pathetic. It revolutionized my, 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 my artistic experience. Because now when I go into my studio, I can see everything that there is and I don't have to have it just stuck in my own mind, right? And when I go do a gig now, I can go, I've done this so many times now I walk into my studio and I'm like, oh, I got to pack for that gig in Portugal, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And then I look, oh, yeah, I forgot. I have that thing, too. Oh, and there's that thing, too, because I can see them in the boxes. And it's just so banal. It's like kind of embarrassing even to say it like this. But it's so it was such a revolution in my work to get clear plastic boxes. And I find that on the same level of just like stupidity of like, why did I never include someone in my artistic process before? But to say really honestly, I never had the chance to before, and it's definitely not in the way of to work with someone like you before. But it's been such a relief to not only be in my own mind all the time. Um, yeah, I just wanted to but say it's that. So, it's so true though. Like it was also because it was also during the pandemic, <clears throat> so there was no gigs, and it was a real existential time for me. Like I couldn't do my job. It's the only time in my life where I, for a while, had to wonder what to do because everything that I did was related to groups of people getting together and I could do many different things but it's all related to having a group of people to talk to or somehow be in front of or whatever <clears throat> so having you to talk to all the way throughout this thing and people and to be able to talk at such depths and go really far out and then go all right we've now spoken for an hour on um, on the chat we need to go get back to the show how does this specifically now go into the show because we need to make sure that the show is progressing as well like we can have all these ideas and now we go there now also that sort of wide expanse puts you in a certain frame of mind so now when you then go down to all right so you just finished uh you're doing the newton's cradle and we've said this which it, so now what happens and what, what how does this go or whatever so it, it 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 creates a certain mood when you're doing all this lofty talking and then you look at 
Mm. How do you put this into the work? And it's not it's not like we then went, oh, okay, so here we have this abstract idea. How can we represent this idea that now sort of it 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 appeared to us through me and you talking about piano playing and invisible piano player because you just see the music. We didn't sort of go, okay, how can we translate that idea and and represent it and make it? It wasn't quite like that. A lot of the time, it's it's like it's this back and forth. Sometimes it's an idea that needs to be spoken in the show. Sometimes it's an idea of the tone or the theme. But to have this ongoing conversation back and forth and having somebody else just take your work seriously enough to listen to it all the time, to watch it watch a piece several times before I comment. And my strength is not abstract putting acts, uh, uh, putting together which juggling trick is here or there. Like I usually deal with different structures in my own work than just abstract movement or whatever. But through our conversations, I now have a better understanding of juggling composition and all this. And sometimes just by me being ignorant and going, well, I watched your um, magnet uh, clubs and uh, I like how they stick together like this. And then when you balance them then again, this is a triplet. This is a trilogy of movement in the space. And that's nice. So whatever. Yeah. Just asking, was that intentional or was this but the bit yeah. is that this? Am I seeing the right thing? Because you just sent it to me and going, here, I made this. And I'm going like, okay, how, how do I respond? Yeah. And just having someone, and now there's a conversation because I go, I saw these things. I didn't see them first because I needed to watch it three times to understand what's going on in here. Yeah. But peace comes halfway through the show. So we're yeah. hoping that by the time that starts you will be able to pay attention from the beginning but it's different i'm looking at it on my phone and it's a little bit of i'm looking at you juggling uh, yeah. so so that's that i think is a really valuable thing in in all processes whether mm. i'm working on a family show that's uh, going out which is a completely different kind of mode of expression but just to take that thing we're talking to children here and adults at the same time Versus this is a show that is not unsuitable for children, but particularly the, not the first 10 minutes, but the sort of middle, there's going to be a 25 minute thing there that is speaking to someone who can, are a little bit more cognitive aware, but it's punctuated with juggling all the way through. So they'll still like it, but it's not a children's show. Right. right. Anyway, no matter what, just having that conversation with someone and really listen to someone and take the work completely seriously. Yeah. Even when it's as ridiculous as what we do here or that when they're going to juggle a rubber chicken or whatever, like to take that seriously. That's just been for me in having all these thoughts. I take it so seriously, the content and structure and characters of what, what we do as performers, like what what this activity of performing, I take it so seriously. Uh, and it's been so amazing to have that with you just over this time to have gone, there is somebody out there who really gets me because I talk to my wife, I talk to people. And sometimes I'm just like, I am on another planet. I like I make some leap of going, oh, you know, well, as the juggler is a lot like a shaman, and I go, what the fuck is this guy about? <laughs> well, so, so this idea, so this, so the reason I I thought of this idea of like, it's just been so nice to have you along on the journey, just to have another brain, yeah, to share this with, is because 
this whole journey, especially a year ago, I really want to, I kind of wanted to end today going back again to the sticking on this one year ago, uh, you know, going to New York in a couple of days with a finished show. And a year ago, we started making that show in earnest and man, what a, you know, I still can't comprehend it. I still can't even talk about it. Like, it's so weird that we spent a year <laughs> and we made this thing and the journey we've been on. I, yeah. I should, I should be able to articulate that. Maybe next time we record, we can jump deeper into that. But I just want to think, I just want to go back to a year ago. And the thing is, I really remember the sensation. And you you have this turn of phrase you you said about Cinque Belli a few times recently, where he was pulling juggling into existence. And I feel like a year ago, Frodo, you were really pulling this show into existence. I mean, we both were. And I really think about this phrase, uh, making something from nothing. I think about that a lot in my work. We made something from nothing. We had nothing. We didn't have a show. And then we made a show. It's yeah. Okay. Whatever. It's, it's the process of creation. It's what we do as artists. I don't need to sit and gaze at my own navel and be so, you know, like, like, uh, stunned, but like, I am kind of stunned by this show because we really did start you were you were trying so hard at the beginning in those first sessions in January to pull something into being so that we could have a conversation and start to figure out what the hell we were going to do. And uh, do you? I, I just want to ask you: Do you remember a year ago in January? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? What did you think the show was back then? What were you trying to do? Were you freaking out? Were you just like, man, this guy, this juggler guy wants to make a show. Like, what's he going to do? Or were you just like, no, man, there's 20 shows in here. Like, how how did you, what did you think a year ago? I was not nervous. I had uh, seen your extensive YouTube channel and watched hours of you perform and whatever. And I'd seen your TED talk and I'd seen, mm. seen you live <clears throat> and had conversations with you and at uh, Ronald's Donuts. And we'd <laughs> like... It's just really good uh, to talk to you and whatever. So I was not nervous of what we were going to create because the depth of it and the scope of it or whatever would just depend on the amount of time and attention that we would give to the project. It really, like some of those initial ideas that we had in the very early conversations are still very much present in this show. You had resistance towards some of the ideas that I had. And and that resistance is also, that's where the gold came from in many ways. It's like the best things come from this going, well, how would we do this? Because I think there's something valuable in this idea. And you go, I don't know, is this too cheesy? I don't want to do just that. Or, And then the synthesis of us coming together, that's sort of how the show is created. And you always start with it going, not knowing. And this thing of... It's not just present, but it's sort of presencing. It's coming into being. You, every time you talk, it, you know more about it. And you keep having this feeling, like you said, it's like, oh, now we know what the show is because we've talked about this idea. And yeah. then you write that down and it's like, oh, shit, we just spoke for an hour and a half. And that ends up being six lines of talking. And then you do the one-up pirouette and a three-up pirouette. Right. And it's like, did we take an eye? Like, what is going on here? Like, right. I thought that was the show. Right. It's like, well, whatever. And you, so you keep deepening what it is and it keep adding to it and it keeps growing and being interconnected. So I, I trusted that the process would work. Mm. 
more so than in in most cases, I would say. I see. I mean, I mean, one thing you reminded me now is like when you talk about my resistance to ideas, like occasionally or whatever. I mean, I mean, it's a conversation between two humans. So obviously that ebbs and flows as that does. It's a conversation. If if you just sit and say the same thing back and forth, then 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 it goes nowhere. Then it's just like you're alone. We need to be able to throw stuff at it and go. Those are not my words, but I see where you're going with this. No, that's what I that's what I wanted to say. So like. I, I just wanted to, to get this out of my brain so I remember it uh, since we're recording this. But like, I don't think you ever told me an idea, Frodo, that I was like, I don't want to do that. But you definitely told me, like our conversations were so effortless generally, like they are today, again, just to say, <laughs> that like the ideas you would throw at me would always spark my brain to some to the next step. Yeah, there was a few times, you know, two or three or four bigger times where you would say something and I I didn't immediately know what was the next thing to say. And those were the moments where I was like, ah, like you would say, you know how me and you talk, like we're here on, we always did video call, right? Generally. And like, we're nodding and we're pointing Uh. using our hands. (laughs) And then sometimes you would, and and you would be on a roll. You'd be like, you should do this and we could do this. And there's this idea and this idea. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Great, great, great. And then sometimes you'll say something and I'll just be like, hmm, I'll go like this. Like, ah, I don't, I don't really know. Yeah. And, and then, then I'm like, and then immediately I start to rephrase my ideas and I'm yeah, going, yeah, 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 okay, I see what the flow in this is. I'm on the roll, but I'm on the slight wrong tangent. The idea is still good, but it's. But uh, yeah, but like whenever I'm like, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't know what I mean. I guess what I'm meaning is like deep inside me, I'm just like, that's probably a good idea. I don't know what to say to it right now, or like the path isn't straightforward for me. Um, especially if it was something about juggling, because then I just know immediately like, well, my technique is like this or my juggling goes like this. And I can immediately just throw that in there. You know, if you're like, Hey Jay, you should do some juggling like here. And I'll be like, yeah, 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 yeah. It means I know what I'm going to do. And then if you're like, ah, but you should juggle over here. And then I'd be like, ah, what's that going to be? That's going to be some, that's going to be some work. That was always like kind of how it went in my mind. But then what I was going to say is in January, I do remember a lesson that I learned talking to you which was, I think in our first couple of sessions, you would say, we were talking about, cause I was gonna speak on stage and you would say, yeah, but Jay, you could say, you know, X, Y, and Z, and you would say something out of your mouth. And in my mind, cause we were still figuring out who each other, how our process was gonna go. In my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna say that on stage, like out of my mouth, I'm gonna say those words. And pretty quickly, I'd say after the first session even, I started to understand that whenever you said something out of your mouth, I needed to translate it in my mind for my world. And then it started to just flow. Mm. But that first day, man, I was sweating. I was like sweating and struggling because I was like, man, whatever Frodo's saying sounds good, but I can't pull that off. What, what, a, what, what This is going to be a heavy, oppressive project. I mean, this is going to be like a big... <laughs> Big work. And then after, but then after a while, I'm like, oh, when Frodo says this, what he's really getting at is an intention and a, and an yeah. idea and how can I, and then immediately, and then I could just, then we could have a really good conversation because in my mind, I'm translating as I go. And, and that is that, that, that thing of translating that to me is not just the key artistic process of like, you get some input, now you're translating it into yourself and this becomes your artistic output. It's, it's the whole uh, aspect the whole fundamentals of human conversation or human interaction with the world. It's like the world comes in and then I say something and that's what the com- conversation is. I'm looking at your subtle cues that my idea is not landing. 
Mm. But I still, it, it, and sometimes I'd go, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. And then we'll skip it and we'll go to something else. But sometimes I go, no, no, there is something in this one, but I have not been able to convey it to you yet. Totally. We need to say it again. So I yeah. can tell by your face, some <laughs> yeah. things in your face that, no, this is not landing. And I'm going, no, but there isn't, there isn't point here. And then I'd yeah. try to shift it to go, look at it from this point of view, look at it from this point of view. And then sometimes we'd go, ah, yeah, 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 I get it. And then still after, even though we now both fire it up about it, then impressing versus expressing has just, we both, we both cared a lot about that. And right. it made its place different places into here and there. And it's a really important point. But in the end of the day, I was one of the darlings that just didn't end up fitting into the show. It's there in the gestalt of the whole thing, but it is not being spoken ever or whatever. Right. So right. Or sometimes we just yeah, that's so that that was that's been this thing of translation. Like like hear what I'm saying here. Just listen to the words, but I'm not literal in the same way. It's like he didn't actually walk underwater. Maybe he didn't, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But it's like, that's not the point here. Like, it's right. what happened to the people when he was in the boat. And now we are 2,000 years later, and we're still going on about it. So, right. it's a good story. It's like Star Wars. It's like, it came out in 1977, but it's still exciting now. <laughs> <laughs> I came out in 1977. Um, I was born, I was born then. Uh, oh. 76. There you go. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe that's, that's like a nice point to maybe wrap this up. Um, it, it reminds me of one thing really fast, just to say this idea, what you were just saying about translating in a conversation and uh, taking, taking things seriously, taking each other seriously. It reminds me, it's the introduction to my book, Five Catches, my, jug, my book about juggling. I wrote like a lifetime ago. Um, but in the introduction of the book, it's about I mean, it's about Luke Wilson, who was who was a amazing artist, juggler, uh, one of my best friends. And unfortunately, you know, he passed away from cancer. Um, but we had a conversation. Uh, I got to talk to him about this right before he was gone. And he said uh, we, we had this moment of realization where he was just like, but Jay, I always thought you were right about everything. And so I was really intimidated by you because you were always right about everything. So because me and Luke, we used to argue a lot, like really big arguments. I mean, not personal arguments, but like about heated discussions about, you know, conceptual ideas, <laughs> We'd be really, really arguing with each other. And he, he was always like, yeah, but I was always I was always so intimidated by you because you were right about everything. And the hilarious thing is, I said, what are you talking about? That's exactly how I feel about you. And <laughs> that was our relationship that seriously until we had spoken that out loud to each other i was like man luke wilson he's right about everything all the time and it's so hard to it's annoying sometimes it's so hard to be in a conversation with him because i can't keep up because he's so right and he's so good and he's so smart and he's so and then he was doing the same thing back to me but i didn't know it so we would build each other up and i think that's what me and you have like I always take all your ideas super seriously. Cause I'm like, man, Frodo's like one of my favorite performers ever. Smartest dude I know, like such a, you know, like really I have so much, um, you know, esteem for, for, for your work and, and your thoughts that whenever you say something to me, even if it doesn't immediately make sense to me, if it, especially if it doesn't immediately make sense to me, I'm just like, whoa, I got to really confront this idea. I got to confront what he said. I got to take it, you know, I got to figure it out and it's, and it can be a struggle. But I think it's it's that then building each other up and having that mutual respect of those ideas that really pushed the the show 
you know, into existence. I just have to say, it feels like I mean, that's. It's like when we have that. When the conversation is like it's the it's the conversations kept being bigger than just the words or whatever. It's a synergy, and that that was what the show is too. I think we've right. really created a really deep <clears throat> show. It's got connections infinitely within itself, but also infinitely with the world. So whatever you take with you when you come into this, you will see slightly different things. And there, there's so much in there. So there's there's definitely bits that are like outright poetic, both in visual styles and right. in literal words that you say. Right. It's It has quite literal factual things that are being said that goes on and that is a long thought that's developed over a long time and it also has these snippets that now ties back to all those things and it has overarching themes that goes as wide as space as space travel and it has things which are as personal as just or as small as just one person on the stage one object and you throw and catch and it's yeah so it's like it really that's has true. this scope that's true that's true. I didn't think of that before. That's totally true. That's actually pretty cool. Um, great. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. so, so we're, we're at about two hours now, so we could uh, we could stop recording and maybe do another session another time. All right. It was such a pleasure. Bye, Bye everyone. Pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Frodo. You're the best. And how about that for a giant conversation? two hours i think that is the longest content we've uh, had so far by far on this here podcast thank you if you came all the way through to the end and i hope you got something out of it from the all the jumping around and it's kind of good to be having a project to talk about always referring back to a show that we did but continuously pulling in the different experiences that we've had throughout both having had long careers it was a very fun conversation to have and from the little responses that we have gotten for this resp um, this conversation which is also available on Jay's uh, YouTube channel um, it's um, yeah proven to be people have been interested so um, yeah if you have any ideas or any thoughts regarding today's episode, regarding any future projects that you have that you would like to share with me, or you have any other comments, then uh, please feel free to drop me a line on the way of the showman at gmail.com or you can uh, support me by buying me a virtual coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Captain Frodo. And I am in the process of uh, doing what... A lot of people do is to put some additional content in there when people actually do go online and support me which people have done very generously uh, over this last uh, season or during this the last year or since june i guess is where, where the pod podcast uh, season two started and uh, thank you so much to all you beautiful contributors it really is uh, an amazing thing i mean i appreciate i appreciate how difficult it is to go online and sign up to something or however you however it is if you've already signed up then great but if not to go through all of that anyway just to support me it is much much appreciated and uh, i am very grateful indeed um yeah so some more content is going to come up there with when you well, you know, when you support with $5, you get this stuff, and when you get... So, 
I am uh, creating some exciting content for that. Anyway, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I hope you enjoyed this uh, edition of uh, a chat, a conversation, which uh, um, I certainly enjoyed. So maybe more of that in the future. Maybe more with Jay, maybe more with other people. If you have ideas, please tell me. And that is, uh, as you can tell, it's all that I actually had uh, planned to say today. So, with uh, all that said, all that's left to be said is uh, take care of yourself and those you love. And I hope to see you along the way. (laughs) 